You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Happy Monday to you all. You are listening to Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball, and I'm your host, Al Melchior. Looking forward to uh, getting things started, getting your Week 16 started. And frankly, your Week 16, well, it's already started. We got the uh, Nationals and the Reds playing. Uh, that game is well underway. Uh, it's not been going so well for the home team there in Cincinnati, but uh, we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, got a couple other lineups already in. All the other games are uh, at uh, 7 o'clock or later tonight. So if you've got rolling lineup locks, you got plenty of time uh, to uh, check out those lineups and tweak your uh, your own lineups and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted on that and the weather. But, uh, of course, as always, let's get started with the news. And one of the more intriguing developments in the last day or so has been in regards to the Cardinals bullpen. Um, last night, or I should say yesterday, rather, uh, it was Brett Cecil who took his turn up uh, and sort of yo-yoing back and forth between Sangwano and Trevor Rosenthal. But Mike Matheny decided to go with Brett Cecil yesterday against the Pirates. Did not go well. Cecil blew the save and the, uh, the Cardinals dropped that one to the uh, to the Pirates. But uh, in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch today, Mike Matheny implied that Trevor Rosenthal will uh, get the next save chance. Uh, he, I don't uh, have the, the exact quote right here in front of me, but said something to the uh, effect of, uh, yeah, that he's, he's got to be the next one. So um, he is, however, he's taking the pass on actually naming a closer right now. So that situation is really wide open. Uh, with O. Rosenthal and now Brett Cecil in the closer mix in St. Louis. But it is worth noting that in that same piece where Mike Matheny said that Rosenthal probably is getting the next save, that uh, Rosenthal himself said that he's been uh, pitching much better lately, which, of course, the stats definitely bear out. Because uh, when Luke Weaver was briefly up with the team, they were throwing together, and Rosenthal took note of how uh, Weaver was easing back on his throws, and so he's basically emulated that style, and it's helped him. And over his last six appearances, six innings, Rosenthal has not allowed a run, has not allowed a walk, which is really notable for, for Rosenthal given his history of control issues, and he struck out 10 batters. So there may be something to that, and I would think that Rosenthal, given that he will apparently get the next shot and has been pitching really well, uh, seems to have the edge there in that situation. And sticking with some closer news, uh, it's not really news that Justin Wilson is on the trading block for the Tigers, but now add the Rays to the list of teams that are interested. I know the Nationals were interested, and just because they acquired uh, Ryan Madsen and Sean Doolittle doesn't necessarily, necessarily mean they're out on Justin Wilson, but the Rays are interested. So we will uh, be going over a lot more news. Got to head to break right now, but we come back more of the news and get to some of the big hitter uh, performances from just this past day, from this past Sunday. So uh, stay with me and just past that. 
Chris Swick from Yahoo Sports. Looking forward to having him on in the not-too-distant future on the show. So stick around. We'll be right back. fantasy nerds here's a question for you what do mozzarella sticks and the fantasy sports radio network have in common they're both awesome apps <laughs> but seriously download the fantasy sports radio network app right now and get all your favorite shows and fantasy advice at the touch of a tiny icon on your screen snapchat and instagram aren't going to help you win a fantasy football title but the fantasy sports radio network app will so go get it now on google play and itunes Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host for the hour. And uh, we can continue on with the recent news with a fresh off the uh, presses update here on uh, yesterday's show, or uh, probably you saw and heard this elsewhere, that Michael Pineda was going for a second opinion on his partially torn right UCL. Uh, he was going for that second opinion today. He got that second opinion from Reds Medical Director Timothy Kremchek, and uh, Dr. Kremchek agreed with the original recommendation for Tommy John surgery. That surgery has now been scheduled for tomorrow. So for absolute sure now, uh, Michael Pineda out for the 2017 season and uh, for a goodly portion of 2018 as well. So uh Probably not uh, a big surprise, but uh, we can now confirm that. Um, coming off the DL for the Red Sox is Eduardo Rodriguez, so he can make his uh, start tonight. Uh, so uh, that, again, was uh, was pretty much anticipated. Uh, so Rodriguez will make that start against the Blue Jays. And to make room for Rodriguez, the Red Sox have sent down uh, Tsue Lin, and uh, also uh, right-handed reliever Austin Maddox, who was actually just recently called up. So those moves made by the Red Sox. Uh, also, uh, talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show, was anticipated that the Phillies were going to place Aaron Altair, who's got a hamstring injury, on the 10-day DL in order to make room for Cesar Hernandez. And uh, that, in fact, did just happen a little while ago. So Aaron Altair on the DL, Cesar Hernandez back. I don't believe we have a Phillies lineup yet, but, you know, it just takes me a second to check. We do not. Still just the Pirates and the Cubs, uh, and we'll get to those in a little while. Uh, getting back to some other news items, though, I mentioned right before the break, Justin Wilson is on the Rays' radar. They've actually been discussing a potential trade with the Tigers. Bob Nightingale of USA Today has reported that now only Wilson, J.D. Martinez, and Alex Avila are actively being shopped uh, by the Tigers. So there had been, I guess, some attempts earlier uh, trying to move Justin Verlander. That went nowhere. Um, talked on yesterday's show with Emily Walden about some other players uh, that uh, she had heard might be going. Um, Jose Iglesias was one of them. But apparently, uh, according to Bob Nightingale, just those three, Wilson, Martinez, and Avila, uh, are, are actively being shopped. And Ken Rosenthal 
has reported that J-Hap is unlikely to be traded. The Blue Jays have been fielding offers. Uh, teams have been expressing interest, but uh, he has indicated that the Blue Jays are very unlikely to trade J-Hap. Noah Syndergaard is starting a throwing program today. He announced this himself on Twitter, uh, but this was actually reported that this was going to happen at some point last week. Uh, we talked about this on the show. Edwin Jackson is going to be the national starter tomorrow. Uh, that, well, today they're uh, they're winding up uh, a series right now in Cincinnati. So that uh, series tomorrow, and yes, I am stalling because I am not remembering top of mind who the Nationals uh, are, are uh, playing tomorrow, but uh, it will be, I'm sorry, it was the Angels. It's the Angels in Anaheim. It'll be uh, Edwin Jackson and Jesse Chavez in that one. Um, so yeah, we haven't seen Edwin Jackson in a rotation in a while. Uh, and right now, of course, we've got that series finale in Cincinnati. It is still six, one nationals. They jumped out to a very early lead in that one, uh, six to one in the bottom of the eighth. So that one's getting, getting near closure. Uh, incidentally, no Ryan Madsen or Sean Doolittle doesn't look like it's going to be a safe situation anyway, but they have not yet joined joined the team. Brandon Belt was scratched yesterday for the Giants with a left wrist sprain, so no Giants uh, lineup. In fact, uh, let me just double check and see. Yeah, they do have that game tonight uh, against the Indians, but that's a 10-15 start. So yeah, no lineup there and won't be for quite a while. But I would be surprised if Brandon Belt were in it, but definitely for your lineups, keep an eye on that situation. This is kind of a biggie. From Bob Klapish of the Bergen Record, a source told him that Ahmed Rosario will be up with the Mets soon. And that is obviously very impactful for us fantasy owners. It's a big deal. But actually, the part of the story that I found the most at least interesting um, is that there was actually an explanation offered or at least a new explanation offered for why Rosario isn't up already with the Mets and it's basically that Sandy Alderson was worried about the response that his Drupal Cabrera would have, because apparently Cabrera has not been happy being moved off of shortstop to second base and might not be happy about the fact of Rosario coming up and further blocking him for, from returning to shortstop. So uh, that, that's an interesting piece. Again, that's uh, Bob Clappish of the Bergen Record, uh, NJ.com. So uh, check that. It's, it's an interesting read. And... Great story. Sean Rodriguez, who was in that horrible car accident back in January, had major shoulder surgery in early February. He's going to be activated today for the Braves. It was widely assumed up until probably a couple weeks ago that Rodriguez was going to miss the entire season. But uh, he will be back for the Braves, who have a 735 start tonight against the Cubs. And... What a great uh, segue I can make right now because, uh, as I mentioned, the Cubs lineup is out and actually a couple other lineups just popped up, so you can check those as well. But uh, Addison Russell, not in the Cubs lineup tonight. Uh, now they're going to Atlanta. They're, they're out of Baltimore. No DH for the Cubs. And uh, so, you know, something always has to give in the Cubs lineup. They've always got, uh, you know, one or two players too many for that uh, starting starting lineup so you got Javi Baez at shortstop Ben Zoberberst at second Kyle Schwarber in left field uh, so that me makes uh, Aston Russell 
the uh, the odd man out. We got the Pirates lineup. Uh, they've got their typical lineup against lefties today so against uh, Brent Suter and the and the Brewers. So no Adam Frazier in the lineup. You got uh, Jose Ozuna in left field. And taking just a real quick look at the Orioles lineup that that just came out, uh, doesn't look like there's there's anything unusual there. The Mets lineup is out for their seven ten start versus the Cardinals at City Field, and uh, Jonas Cespedes is in there. A little got a little banged up over the weekend, but he is in there batting third, playing left field, uh, and yep, looks like a pretty normal lineup lineup for the Mets as well. You got uh, Travis Darno behind the plate. So Cardinals lineup is not out yet, but um, that might be a good one for Tommy Pham to uh, steal a base or two. So uh, keep an eye out on that uh, Cardinals lineup. I would absolutely assume with Piscotty and Grichik out that Tommy Pham will be in that uh, that Cardinals lineup. Um, weather, nothing, this could be a quick one because there are no major chances of precipitation anywhere. Uh, just a slight chance in Colorado. Really, yeah, nothing much that you need to pay attention to. So set those lineups and no worries uh, for any of your players in terms of a cancellation or a major delay. It does not appear that way uh, as of right now. Uh, all right, well, let me talk a little bit about Kyle Seeger. And I feel like I haven't talked much about Kyle Seeger this year because uh, – it's it's been a disappointing season, but there there haven't been you know major ups and downs, and I've just sort of had this feeling all along. You know he's going to come along because while last year was something of a, a breakout for him, he's been a very very steady player for several years now, and yet here here we are you know getting into the latter half of July, and at least in terms of power, Seeger has not really moved the needle. But what's giving me an excuse to revisit Seager is he did hit his 12th home run of the season on Sunday. So that gave me an opportunity to kind of check in and see, okay, you know, how is he doing in terms of his typical pace? So 12 home runs at this point of the season is definitely a step down from last year and certainly below our expectations. But here's the oddity about Kyle Seager that I wasn't aware of until I looked into it just today. He has the highest fly ball rate of his entire career this year. His hard contact rate is a little bit down from last year, but pretty much near his typical norms. His average fly ball distance is a whopping two feet below where it was last year. So for all virtual purposes, it's it's the same. I mean, it's, you know, margin and error, margin of error off. And his pop-up rate is the lowest of his career. So... It would seem that Kyle Seeger, you know, in terms of all the components of hitting, power-wise, should be having maybe the best season of his career, and yet it's a, it's a real drop-off from last year. Now, because of all the fly balls, maybe you're not going to see much movement in the batting average, but I think what, we're, what we should see going forward is the Kyle Seeger that we've, we've known for years, and maybe even the slightly better version that we saw last year. So if you have an opportunity to buy, I would take it. And if you have an opportunity to ask Chris Swift questions about the White Sox and Nationals, you should take that too. And I'm going to do that next segment. Stick around. It should be great stuff. We will be right back.
Many fantasy football players are focusing on their upcoming drafts later this summer. But the smart fantasy owner knows there's another big draft before the one where you pick the players. The first step in building a winner for the 2017 season is to draft the best team of experts for your preseason prep. So make the right selection and pick the squad at rotoexperts.com by purchasing the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. The Roto Experts roster features FSWA inaugural Hall of Famer and former Fantasy Football Writer of the Year Scott Engel, nationally acclaimed top ranker Jake Seeley, 2015 and 16 FSWA award winners Bobby McMahon and Brandon Murchison, and many more analysis with impressive stats. They bring you a draft package bursting with all-pro analysis and in-season coverage that will guide you to title glory. So pick the team to help you build the right team. Make your first important selection of the 2017 season now and get the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package from RotoExperts.com. Be sure to enter promo code FREERADIO at checkout for your discount. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and with me for this segment, first-time guest, I certainly hope uh, not the last, uh, one of my favorite writers out there from uh, Big League Stew at Yahoo Sports, Chris Swick. Chris, welcome to the show. Al, it's good to be uh, reunited with you here. Absolutely. Yeah, that's no, great. Uh, <laughs> you had a little time together, a little overlap at, at CBS Sports. Uh, Chris has also written for uh, Fangraphs in the past, uh, but uh, does great work for uh, Yahoo. And uh, I had your Yahoo colleague, um, uh, Liz Rocher, on the show a couple of times. And so I admitted yeah. this embarrassing thing to her. So I'll admit it to you, too. Uh, back in the, in the very early days of Big League Stew, long, long time ago, I thought there was actually a person named Big League Stew. Hey, that, that makes sense. I, I don't blame you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I still, I still kind of hold out hope. Maybe you know somewhere there, there is a stew. Maybe your stew, for all I know. Yeah, I mean, if we don't hire someone soon, I think I'll, I have to legally change my name when I'm there for four years. It's <laughs> 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 your contract. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Chris, uh, glad glad to have you on, and uh, you know, it's a very timely uh, point to be talking both uh, about the. Uh, the White Sox and the Nationals, and uh, I know you dig deep into to both of those teams in your work. Mm-hmm. And so we'll start with the – well, actually, I'm going to make a little tangential move from the White Sox to the Cubs, just like uh, Jose Quintana did, because uh, that was a very uh, you know noteworthy debut he made with the Cubs. How odd was that for you to, to witness that after all those years of seeing him uh, in the White Sox uni? Well, I, I think uh... – you know, getting the win was, was something I, I was not used to seeing with Quintana. No, I think, <laughs> right. honestly, um, you know, the, the big thing with him, I, I think people who watch the White Sox or who are White Sox fans, um, just for years they they saw all the games that either the bullpen blew or um, games where the team didn't score a lot of runs, and so Quintana wasn't winning. And I know, you know, I'm not a big pitcher wins guy, but I do think it, it impacts public perception. And so I guess... My my hope just for Quintana to be accurately rated among casual fans is that he goes to the Cubs and he suddenly reels off a ton of wins now because he's A, with a better team, and B, rid of this White Sox non-run scoring curse, which I don't really believe in, but we'll just go with it for the purposes of our conversation. 
Yeah, you know, well, he certainly has the, you know, big enough sample to, uh, you know, it's not just uh, anecdotal evidence uh, with Quintana. So absolutely. And I'm going to dig a little more in depth on Quintana uh, in in the next segment, because uh, it was a really interesting start. But while I've got you here, I do want to kind of talk about what what Quintana's left behind uh and namely a gap in the rotation and I would think short term probably it's gonna be Miguel Gonzalez uh, coming off the DL and filling that but the, the question that probably every fantasy analyst out there has been getting for the past uh, several days is uh when are we going to see Ronaldo Lopez and or Lucas Giolito so uh who do you think reaches first and how soon may we see either one of them so I guess I my sense is that Lopez is probably closer at this point, and it's mainly because he's pitched better this season. I know G. Ludo has consistently been rated the higher prospect, but he's had some issues lately, and if you look at the minor league numbers, they have not been great, and I think this goes back a little bit to last year. So the struggles have been bad. We know that if you've read a lot of the spring stuff, the White Sox really wanted to work on uh, some stuff with his delivery, get the fastball back at they talked consistently about commanding the fastball. Obviously, those changes haven't taken yet, so that's a problem. And that, that makes me feel like Lopez is closer. Now, when we'll see him, I'm not sure. I, I, I get a sense that both of those guys would be more uh, September call-ups. I could see Lopez coming up a little earlier if the team needs a spot start. And, you know, in his case, great. I'm not too worried about it. In Giolito's case, I almost feel like He's the type of guy who could benefit from working with Don Cooper, and so I could see them bringing him up in September, giving him a few starts, and then really kind of prepping him as as a possible rotation member next season and letting him work with Cooper, I don't know, throughout the offseason and definitely in spring training. So I see Lopez as the, the guy who's closer right now. Yeah, no, yeah, he's definitely been pitching much better lately, Lopez. And uh, but you know, general, generally, what I'm hearing from you is let's let's pump the brakes a little bit in terms of you know running out and making sure we have these guys ready uh, to you know put on our rotations uh, in the next uh, next few weeks. And it doesn't seem like the the White Sox are in a big rush to bring up either one. Um, they they will, I think, certainly be trading off more pieces. We've been hearing lots about Todd Frazier. Uh, in fact, uh, Ken Rosenthal tweeting yesterday that uh, it, it's, it seems close to inevitable he'll become a member of the Red Sox. Uh, David Robertson has been mentioned as a possible part of a package going to them, but I would think both of them would, would be going somewhere. I'll, I'll get to the voids that they could be leaving soon, but is there anybody else we should be looking for to be traded? So I think there's two other guys who really stand out to me, and I guess I should say I don't really think anyone's off the table except for I don't know, maybe, you know, Carlos Rodon, Tim Anderson, the guys you expect to be with the team four years from now. Uh, but I, I think in the in the pen, uh, you have uh, Tommy Canely back there, and you have Anthony Swarzak. Now, there's some issues with both of them. They're both having really great seasons. Swarzak, his contract's up at the end of the year, so I think that's kind of an obvious move. Uh, Canely's under contract, I think, through 2020. So the White Sox don't have to trade him. At the same time, he's also a 27-year-old having, um, you know, a career year. I mean, I know last year the ERA was great, but his strikeout rate has exploded this year. He's not walking anyone. And if this is the highest his value is going to get, I could see them moving both because we know they're going to be bad, so why do you need excellent relievers? (laughs) 
Yeah, and it's the same frustrating thing in Baltimore where, you know, I've been saying for the last several days on the show, hold Brad Brock, hold Brad Brock, because, you know, Zach Britton might be traded, but now <laughs> there's all these rumors about Brad Brock being traded. So I, this is something I worried about with Canely and, and Swarzak, too. So I guess nobody, like you said, nobody is uh, necessarily safe there. Uh, if Canely does stick around, even just for a period of time uh, as the closer, is there anything to worry about there with him? Because his results lately have not been nearly as good. I guess the the only concern I would have is just that he's never been this good before, so it's it's track record related. But I don't know. I mean, I know you look at the peripherals. I, I look at the peripherals. The strikeout rate is forty two percent, which is exceptional. And the walk rate is five percent, which is easily a career low. It just it looks to me as if he's unlocked something this season. And so I would like to buy into what he's done. It's the only concern I would have is short track record. He's never done this before over the full course of the season. So that's really it. If yeah. if he's closing, I, I, I would like him if I was a fantasy uh player right now. Yeah, no, I, I've, he's been one of the key guys that I've been stashing and encouraging other yeah. people to stash as well. Uh, and, and, you know, that obviously also goes for Yohan Moncada. We've been waiting all season for him to come up. Uh, what, when do you expect he'll be coming up? Will he just slide right into second? Or you think, uh, I mean, because that's where he's been playing exclusively in the minors. Uh, and, uh, and what would you expect for him uh, in terms of uh, his, his stats? So... I expect Mankata to be up at some point before September. Uh, that would obviously be the latest in my mind. They're not keeping him in the minors all season. I think uh, they'll find a place for him. It will most likely be second. The Todd Frazier trade possibility maybe complicates that. Um, but again, they've kind of made it clear that he's not going to play third anymore. So I'm not entirely sure what they would do over there at, at third base. It'll probably be a combination of guys. Uh, with Moncada, you know, the thing that, that stands out to me is the strikeouts. Last season, um, in his br- very brief Major League debut, that was kind of exposed as a problem. He's still striking out uh, 28% in the minors this year, very high at AAA. It's actually better than his strikeout rate at AA, so it makes me think this is a guy who can improve. And so if they call him up, I, I might expect some struggles immediately. Pitchers are still going to try and exploit that. Uh, I think eventually, you know, he's shown that he can make adjustments and get that under control and produce, I think, the numbers we all kind of expect. But, you know, maybe the first month or two might be rough. So if if you're going to depend on him or hold on, hold him, um, don't don't get frustrated is what I, I would advise to people. Yeah, no, I think that's that's great advice. And, you know, you mentioned it could be a, a combination of players. Uh, taking over at third base. Um, what about Nicky Delmonico? That's somebody that I've been researching a bit lately because it seems like he would be one of the more obvious uh, players. I know he's had some defensive struggles, but I mean, is he somebody maybe deep leaguer should should be stashing? Yeah, I feel like he's probably a nice deep league buy. I guess looking over the roster at this point, I guess they would stick Matt Davidson there a little bit, maybe Tyler Saladino. Those guys really don't do much for me. I mean, I know Davidson yeah. is hit for power, but that, that strikeout rate really scares me. Uh, I don't think that's sustainable. So, yeah, yeah. I, I would say a, a really soft buy. I mean, if you have the space and you're in a deep league, maybe you could take the shot. 
All right. And uh, I haven't left you nearly as much time to address this as I had hoped, uh, Chris. But uh, I do want to talk about the, the Nationals closer situation. Sure. Because, of course, uh, you know, Ryan Matson, Sean Doolittle on the way. Uh, g- can you put your, uh, you know, your Dusty Baker, uh, uh, you know, crystal ball out on the table there and <laughs> tell me what you think uh, he's going to do with this uh, closer situation? All right. So knowing Dusty Baker like we do, I think he is more of a traditional closer guy, and that makes me feel like he's going to lean towards Madsen. Uh, Madsen's the righty. We typically see righties in the role. He's also been healthier lately, which is weird to say because he missed three seasons with, with injuries. So that's where I would lean, and I think they're both equally talented, but I think Dusty will go with tradition in that, in that area. Yeah, now I, I would if he's gonna go with one guy, I would absolutely agree with you on that. So, uh, well, Chris, we're just about out of time. So, uh, really glad that you took the time to uh, to join us here today. And uh, if you got more questions for Chris, uh, check him out on Twitter, and that's uh, at Chris underscore, underscore Swick C W I K. Chris, thanks so much. Yeah, this was great. Love talking to you. <laughs> Likewise, Chris. Have a good one. Everybody, we'll be right back. Let's talk about Jose Quintana. We'll do that right on the other side of the break. Many fantasy football players are focusing on their upcoming drafts later this summer. But the smart fantasy owner knows there's another big draft before the one where you pick the players. The first step in building a winner for the 2017 season is to draft the best team of experts for your preseason prep. So make the right selection and pick the squad at rotoexperts.com by purchasing the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. The Roto Experts roster features FSWA inaugural Hall of Famer and former Fantasy Football Writer of the Year Scott Engel, nationally acclaimed top ranker Jake Seeley, 2015 and 16 FSWA award winners Bobby McMahon and Brandon Murchison, and many more analysis with impressive stats. They bring you a draft package bursting with all pro analysis and in-season coverage that'll guide you to title glory. So pick the team to help you build the right team. Make your first important selection of the 2017 season now and get the exclusive edge fantasy football package from rotoexperts.com. Be sure to enter promo code free radio at checkout for your discount. Welcome back. You are listening to FanRack Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And big thanks to Chris Swick joining us for that last segment. Uh, lots of great analysis there on the White Sox situation and uh, who might be filling some of the holes left by players departing uh, by way of trade. And, of course, we've already got Jose Quintana, uh, who's left the south side for the north side. Uh, I am going to talk about that Quintana start a little bit later on this segment, but uh, keep things somewhat neat and organized. I'm going to continue on with a few more hitters. I talked about Kyle Seeger earlier in the show. A few more hitters of note, um, but I am definitely going to be breaking down that, that Quintana performance. So, uh, you know, uh, that's coming up soon. But uh, in addition to Seeger, there were a couple of two home run performances on Sunday, one by Avisael Garcia, speaking of the White Sox, homers number 12 and 13. And, you know, we already know that Garcia is having a breakout season. So I think the noteworthy thing from that has to do with the fact that both of those home runs came off of Mariners righty Andrew Moore, who pretty quickly has found some popularity in fantasy. I mean, not on a wide scale, but, uh, you know, certainly been populating some deeper leagues and and the occasional standard league. Uh, But not a good start at all for Moore. And I have to say... Looking at the you know the sort of pitcher he is, looking at his profile, 
you could kind of see this one coming uh, against the White Sox, even though they're better known for hitting lefties really well. Moore is a very extreme fly ball pitcher, has been very consistently so. And going into guaranteed rate field against a team that uh, can hit for some power. Again, it's not necessarily their strong suit, but enough of a combination there between the venue, the pitcher, and the the opposition itself. And and, uh, Avisal Garcia more than capable of taking advantage of that. So two home runs off of Andrew Moore. So, yeah, be be careful with those uh, Andrew Moore starts. Uh, should be good for most starts at Safeco Field, to be sure, though. And Daniel Moore, Murphy, excuse me, not Daniel Moore, Daniel Murphy, uh, joining the two-homer club, uh, numbers 15 and 16. Uh, as far as today's game, by the way, that's final now, the Nationals and the Reds. That did end up as a 6-1 to one final there in Cincinnati. Uh, and he got an offer with three strikeouts, almost a golden sombrero for uh, for Daniel Murphy there. Uh, so nice game for him, just continuing on a great season, which, by the way, if you look at the rate stats, everything across the board is like a carbon copy or a, a <laughs> that's an old-fashioned expression, uh, but a copy of, of last year's numbers. So nothing wrong with that. Nick Williams hit a grand slam at Milwaukee yesterday. It was two for four in that game for the Phillies. He now has a 48% hard contact rate, and it's a, still a very small sample for Nick Williams, but yeah, beats the alternative. It beats me having to say, yeah, Nick Williams, he's got a uh, 18% hard contact rate. So he's making, at least at the early going in his major league career, uh, a lot of hard contact. DJ LeMahieu had a four-hit game. He's bringing his batting average way, way up. So if you just remember just a couple weeks back, at some point on this show, and you've probably been hearing it, had been hearing it, and lots of other places too, about how DJ LeMahieu is just not having you know the same kind of success this year. Uh, well, a four-hit game with a pair of doubles. He's now got 16 doubles on the year. And over his last 21 games, he is batting 434. But only one home run. And granted, LeMahieu's never been a big home run guy, but we saw a little bit more home run power from LeMahieu last season. Only four doubles. So if you do the the very simple math here, before yesterday's game in the previous 20 games, only two doubles. One home run and two doubles over those 20 games. So very, very little power from LeMahieu. And I'm just not ready to kind of discount that and say, well, he's not a power hitter because we did see some decent power from LeMahieu last year, enough to really just push his value up a bit. And so even now, while he's improving the batting average, the power's still not really there. But maybe with this two-double game, maybe that uh, takes LeMahieu to the next level. And one final hitter I do want to talk about before we get to Quintana, uh, and this is somebody that I look to add in a lot of my leagues, not the 12-team mixed leagues, but pretty much every other league I'm in. I put in a bid for this guy this weekend, and it's Drew Robinson of the Rangers who has started last of the four of the last five games. He's only played in six games all season for the Rangers, but he started, started four of the last five and already has three homers. He hit that third home run of the year on Sunday at Kansas City, and uh, there was a report that uh, Jeff Bannister is looking to get Robinson in the lineup much more regularly, particularly against right-handed pitchers. That's probably going to come at the expense of uh, Mike Napoli and may- maybe Joey Gallo a little bit. Um, you know, he's very versatile. He has played some third base and left field. He can play second and short. 
granted, not that the Rangers have a you know big need to sit Elvis Andrews or Rugnetto Door, but very versatile can can you know be a super utility guy for them, keep his bat in the lineup, and that sounds like what Bannister wants to do. And in the minor leagues, Robinson's had really good plate discipline. It's a pretty good power, and I would think that power should play very nicely uh, in Arlington. So yeah, I'm very interested in Drew Robinson in, in deeper leagues. If if there's any chance of him, you know, being the Marwin Gonzalez of uh, the Texas Rangers, you know, I think he could be similarly productive. All right, well, uh, with no further delay, let's get on to um, not only Jose Quintana but a bunch of great pitching performances uh, and certainly a lot of interesting ones on uh, Sunday. Get to many of these as possible. But Jose Quintana in his Cubs debut went seven innings. Blanking the Orioles over those seven innings. So no runs on just three hits and no walks and 12 big strikeouts for Jose Quintana. And um, in, in amassing that big strikeout total, he got 20 swings and misses, which is, you know, that's always impressive. I mean, it's always a good sign just to get into double digits. Once you get to, you know, 14, 15, that's a, that's a really pretty dominant start usually. He had 20 of them against the Orioles. Uh, got just 14 called strikes. So what that combination tells you is that the Orioles were swinging a lot. And that is not unusual for your Baltimore Orioles. And this was kind of an interesting thing I found in Quintana's uh, game log. Uh, he, uh, ah, shoot, I don't have the uh, the number right in front of me here. But uh, I think I want to say it's like a 39.7, no, 37.7 swing percentage on pitches outside of the strike zone. Uh, in this game, which is very high. I mean, the norm is, you know, usually like around 30%, give or take. So very, very high percentage. The only start that Quintana has had this year where he's allowed or where he's induced, I should say, a larger percentage of swings on pitches outside the strike zone was also against the Orioles when he was with the White Sox uh, back in May. So there's a pattern there. And, um, Quintana typically does not pitch in the zone a lot. So he relies on teams like the Orioles to really boost his stats, who are going to chase pitches outside of the zone. Uh, and uh, so that's, uh, you know, that was the story here against the Orioles. Uh, so basically, that's a long, kind of wonky way of saying, I think Jose Quintana, like Chris Swick was saying in the last segment, I think he's going to be more valuable as a Cub. I think he's going to be pretty good, but he's not going to be this good. Um, you know, there wasn't some sort of you know magic elixir mixed in the the water there um, that allowed him to uh, you know have such a dominant start. He's going to be good. He's going to be fine. He's he's not going to be somebody you're going to want to start every single week though, but definitely worth owning. Uh, and of course, he's going to be hard to pick up because he's owned pretty much everywhere. Uh, Mike Fires had uh, a start that wasn't too different looking in terms of the final line. Actually, he gave up two runs against the Twins, but also went seven innings. Also, didn't walk anybody. And also hit double digits in strikeouts with 11. So a really, really good start against the Minnesota Twins. And that is now two starts in a row for Fires where he has frozen batters at least 20 times. He had 20 called strikes in the start on Sunday against the Twins. Previous start 21 times at Toronto. Uh, What is sort of interesting here, and there's a reason and a method why I've lumped Quintana and Fires together, aside from the fact that the lines are similar. Uh, Toronto, or excuse me, let me start with Minnesota. 
So they got 20 called strikes. They ranked 27th in the major leagues in swing percentage. And the Blue Jays rank 28th. <laughs> so basically, fires the back-to-back starts face two of the teams that are least likely to uh, to swing at a pitch. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think that the, the strikeout binge is, is necessarily going to continue for Mike Fires. And the thing is that this is a kind of a strategy that sometimes backfires on, on him uh, for Fires because his control is, uh, is not, has not been very consistent. And in fact, if you go back to that start against the Blue Jays where they, they just watched a lot of pitches sail by, he, he walked four batters. So Fires is really about as good as his control is, and it's been very inconsistent all season long. He's had some great games in terms of control. He's had some pretty poor games in terms of control. So uh, you, I, I'm not, I can't restrain myself. I'm going to say it that if you start him, you are playing with Fires. Uh, moving on, Jeremy Hellickson also had a start that seemed very matchup driven. He went five innings, which is not you know. Not long, so that alone makes it not the greatest start. But otherwise, not bad. Only two runs allowed on four hits and a walk with six strikeouts. So despite being only uh, five minutes, or five, uh, five innings, excuse me, it's not a bad line. But this was against the Brewers at uh, Miller Park. Over his last five starts, Hulkson has a 3-2-6 ERA with 67% strikes thrown and 11% whiff rate. So that's a huge improvement over his work earlier in the season. So, yeah, Hellickson's a better pitcher, but is he going to be this kind of strikeout pitcher going forward? Well, you know, the Brewers, they're very aggressive, and they don't always make the best contact. So keep that in mind. Anyway, got one more segment to go, a lot more pitchers to talk about. So stick around. Be right back. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And, of course, you're listening here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. But you can now take the world's premier 24-7 Fantasy Sports Radio Network with you wherever you go. Just download the Fantasy Sports Radio app in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and listen for free anytime, anywhere. You can hear Tony Sincata on the treadmill. Benny Riccardi in your car, or Greg Sussman on the subway, or just relax with the king on the couch, or with Jake Seeley when you are out jogging. We'll keep you updated and informed wherever you go. So get the Fantasy Sports Radio app for free right now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play, and take the experts with you. Uh, 
let's get right to the pitchers. Get just a few minutes to uh, round up some outstanding pitcher performances from Sunday. David Price shut down the Yankees for eight innings in the second game of the doubleheader yesterday. Uh, and he is definitely back. <laughs> Great start here. Eight strikeouts, no walks, uh, seven hits over those eight scoreless innings. He's now reeled off five straight quality starts with a 1.91 ERA over that uh, period. Much better control lately. Um, no home runs over those five starts. I mean, he's just been outstanding. So he is back. Zach Godley had a weird one at Atlanta where he went six innings and struck out nine batters, just walked one. But uh, Godley, who is known for a very high ground ball rate, allowed 12 fly balls and a couple of home runs and gave up uh, seven runs, six earned runs uh, in that start. That just looks like a strange aberration. Wouldn't worry too much about that one. Uh, but then his opposite, opposite number, Jaime Garcia, very good start on his first one in a long time. Uh, had four pretty horrendous starts preceding this one. But Garcia went seven innings long, just one run with seven strikeouts, three walks, and four hits. But bear in mind that the Diamondbacks are the second worst team in the major leagues in terms of Woba against left-handed pitchers. So Garcia, I think, benefited from a very nice matchup there. Another lefty, uh, CC Sabathia, going back to that uh, Yankees-Red Sox doubleheader in the first game, went six scoreless, but walked five batters. Uh, Rick Porcello was the one who uh, actually gave up some runs, uh, giving up three, but only one was earned with six strikeouts and no walks. So I would argue maybe the the more impressive performance, uh, even though uh, Sabathia had you know the better the better looking line. Rich Hill a dominant performance, although only five innings. That is the risk you run with starting Rich Hill. Uh, but five scoreless innings against the Marlins with nine strikeouts and no walks. So just as I talked about David Price being back, I think Rich Hill is back uh, to his form from last season. And um, Chris O'Grady, once again, holding his own uh, against the Dodgers, just like he did against the uh, the Giants. Uh, he's got a 19% ground ball rate, though. So that's something, like I talked about with Andrew Moore, he might be kind of the NL Marlins Park uh, sort of equivalent to uh, to Andrew Moore, uh, Chris O'Grady there. And finally, Tanner Roark with a really nice start. And I'll, I'll admit, this was one I didn't expect because Roark, as I've mentioned several times on this show recently, has really struggled against left-handed hitters this year. Uh, he, he was facing a Reds lineup that had uh, Scooter Jeanette and, of course, Joey Votto. Uh, you know, had a few left-handed bats in there, a couple of them very dangerous. And uh, he gave up three runs, but none of them were earned and only four hits, got five strikeouts. So a nice start for Tanner Roark, but he gave up seven base hits, all singles, five of them by lefties. <laughs> so still got to look out for those uh, lefty and righty matchups for, uh, for Tanner Roark as well. And that, folks, is a wrap for uh, this Monday show. But uh, I will be back tomorrow. Again, remember, uh, we are now here on Tuesdays, same time, 3 p.m. Eastern, same place here on Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Anyways, thanks so much for tuning in. Best of luck this week. Have a great one.